Matthew 1, 17 through 25. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But when he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the word through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till he, uh, she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. May the Lord bless this reading to our understanding. As we are, as we often do, we get cards from around the country at this time of the year. We got a card that a part of the scripture verse was printed upon. As I read the text, some things, some things leapt out at me that I just had not appreciated to that degree before. And so from the moment I read the card, I, I thought to myself, you know, I think I want to preach on this on Sunday because we, we, don't make a, we don't make a big deal about the incarnation of Christ at this time of the year normally as RPs. We do, we do try to make a big deal out of Scripture, and so wherever Scripture comes alive to us, I think it's, a, it's virtuous to speak upon it. I thought, well, this, this is certainly what a lot of people are thinking about anyway, and it will, it, it just, it's a very powerful text for our consideration. I've entitled the, the, the uh, sermon, Incarnation Magic, and I've done that, I, I, I really wrestled with what, whether I should do that or not, because magic in this world is ordinarily tied to a kind of vanity, a kind of uh, uh, a kind of distraction from reality, if you will. The magician does his works, and he 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 he, he put, does things in front of us that we can hardly believe. And some people uh, even mistake the magician for reality, and then they, they, they're, they're able to lead to some spiritual confusion in their lives. Uh, and indeed, magic, as it's conceived in the world, uh, can be a confusion between the divine power and human power. In other words, it, uh, it's not good when we confuse the one with the other. We ought to, we ought to reserve the real power in this world to God and not make any confusions between the two, which magic does or it tries to do. Um, 
Um, but I'm using it this morning in more in the metaphorical sense. You know, the, in other words, we have a picture of something, and we use the picture to illustrate something that we're doing. And so I, I've used this uh, this idea of magic or the magical qualities of life, uh, and we we use that word all the time. Um, uh, if we fall in love with some woman or some man, we might say, "Well, our, our relationship is just magical." You know, in other words, there's, there's a sense in which magic transports us above the common world, and uh, and uh, it, it sometimes is used as a as a synonym for transcendental. Which we, as people, as as people, we we do believe in the transcendental. We don't believe that this world is just space and time and the the the. the we, we realize that, especially as Christians, we go beyond this world. We go beyond space and time. We, we are not just creatures. We are, we are not just materialistic creatures or material creatures. We are creatures who have the eye of faith, and faith can see higher, see, see deeper. Faith sees that there's a God behind all of these things. And so that's um, in that sense that I want to use that to, to point to this text, I, because I kept searching for words. How do I, how do I illustrate this text? How does it really speak um, to me or to us as, as it, I think its import is? And so I think the word, the word really works. And if there are some, uh, if there are some who say this cannot be done, you cannot use the word magic and even in a metaphorical way, remember that the scripture itself speaks of the magi. <laughs> the plural for magician. So it's a, it's a word we have to be careful with it, but uh, even the scripture itself delves with it in some senses. So if we look at this, uh, if, as we look at this text, the first thing we see is the magical genealogy. That's why I read verse 17. <clears throat> there is a genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. There's also one at the beginning of Luke. They're both different. Uh, but they both have great import, great impact. Some scoffers will say, well, they're different genealogies. It proves the Bible is wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. They're different. They're, they're, they have di many of the same people are in them, but they just number differently. And in Matthew, I've, I've chosen to read this verse, which is the culmination of it all, that says, so all the generations from Abraham to until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in, of Babylon, I'm sorry, uh, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14, then from David to the captivity are 14, then from the captivity to until Christ are 14 generations. So what we have here uh, immediately is a kind of a magical picture. It's a, it's, it's a, a title or a description foist upon time. It's an introduction to the birth of Christ. It's saying that there were uh, two sets of seven generations, which would add up to 14, from Abraham to the Babylonian captivity, and then from the Babylonian captivity till, um, I keep getting my, I mean, from Abraham, I keep getting, keep stick, skipping the first one, Abraham to David are 14, that's two sets of sabbatical generations. The sabbatical, the sabbatical is a, a, a descriptive word arising from the idea of Sabbath. So two sets of Sabbaths in terms of people, generations, from Abraham to David, and then two sets from David to the captivity, and then two sets from the captivity until the birth of Christ. So we have two, we have uh, six sets, 
three sets of 14 or six sets of seven coming to the birth of Christ. And it's it, these are described as generations. That is family lines. So what you have is there are there are six sets of uh, of uh, generations until the coming of Christ, and now Christ, our Lord Jesus, is the father of the seventh of the the seventh of seven generations, and that's a very lovely thought. It's a beautiful a beautiful way of looking at history. All of these things are organized in the mind of God. In in the in the book of Luke, in that genera- in that genealogy, there are there are seventy seven generations or seventy seven uh, uh, people in the genealogy, and and uh, so Je- or seventy six. And Jesus then is the seventy seventh. So God is using numbers here to show that He is superior to. The creation, he is superior to the organization of the creation. I was talking about Eric Metaxas earlier and his proofs for the Lord from science. And what we see is that the Lord is sovereign. The way he created the world, he did it in an organized fashion. And the way he created time, he does that in an organized fashion. And so here we we are, we're going to tell the story. Matthew is going to tell the story of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just begin. With the birth of Christ, there's a setup for it. God's organization of time to his birth. And so uh, it's kind of magical. It just points all the more attention to this birth of Christ. There's something super significant about this Jesus Christ. Now, uh, the word there that's used in verse 17 is Christ, or the name that's used for Jesus is Christ, which is a title. It's not a name per se, but it's a title like King John would be the king would be the title. John would be the name. So uh, Christ is a title that means the anointed one. And you know, in the past, we've said how the Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah. The Greek word for anointed is Christ. And so we know that this Jesus is a very, very special person. He is the promised anointed one who would come from God, who would save us from our sin. So that's the first magic we see here. The second magic is that uh, that Jesus is born a baby in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So we see that the the magical genealogy, or the the super significant genealogy, ends with the, the term Christ. Christ will be the head will be the fruit of these generations, and he will be the head of the seventh the seventh generation that, that is superior and will bring forth a new family, the, the family of God. And in verse 18, it goes, there's this transition of, of names and titles. We see Christ in verse 17, and now in verse 18, we see now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So we have this theological idea of the Christ in the genealogy, and then immediately we are introduced to reality, as it were, or the down-to-earth idea of one particular person who has a name, Jesus. Uh, Now, this is 
this this is really magical because he's already told us how special and how unique the Messiah is going to be. How unique and special the Christ is going to be. How can the Christ then be a real person? Somebody who is actually named Jesus. That's a real name in the first century. It's a, it's a Greek reformulation of the Hebrew name Joshua. Whereas the Hebrews would name their children Joshua, in the Greek world, they would name their son Jesus, which means Savior, which we'll see later on. And uh, in verse, uh, uh, verse 24, or verse 23 and 24. So um, it's really amazing. It, it's kind of magical how a, a real, a little baby could be in any way related to this supreme person who was coming called the Christ. How could that be? And indeed, this is the great stumbling stone for all of Islam even today. They cannot come to grips with the idea that the God of the cosmos, that the God of creation, could in any way link himself to a real baby. They say that that is, that is repulsive. And so if you try to witness to an Islamic person, they're immediately thinking, this person is a gross dog for, to have as the root of their religion. This idea that God could confuse himself with a little child, a little, a crying child who would, you know, poop his pants and, and urinate into his diaper and these kind. This, this is just completely contrary to the idea of divinity. So part of the magic here, part of the amazing providences of God is that God would do this with the idea of retaining his glory as the high God of heaven. We, we admit that this is a difficult thing as Christians. We admit it when we're talking to Islamic people. We admit it. But what we say, what we say to them is, God has the right to do things the way he wants to do them. And you are in no place to reject that. Now that the Islamic person does get. And that's the, that's the base, that's the, that's the beginning of talking to an Islamic person. We're going to say this, this is God's book. God revealed himself as he really is. And if God wants to do this this way, he's God. And who are you to say differently? And most Islamic people will say, ah, I get that. That, that, now you're speaking, now you're speaking sense to me. So, but anyway, uh, Verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus was as follows, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So Jesus was a baby. He had a real father and a real mother. Maybe his conception was unique, which it was, but he was a real kid. Jesus is not just some sort of a super phantom <laughs> who only looks like he's a human being, but really he was kind of mostly ghostly, uh, spiritual and more spiritual than he was human. No, Jesus was a real baby. Uh, so that's the second thing that we see here. Now, thirdly, we see a magical man, Joseph. Now, this is what caught my eye. This is what led to the sermon in the first place. I saw this first. Then Joseph, um, her husband, 
being a just man and not wanting to make her public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What's brought out of me when I saw this verse on this Christmas card? Um, I just thought of all the counseling that I've done over the years, all the psychology I've studied, and I looked at Joseph. I looked at Joseph not as um, a kind of impenetrable cipher or some uh, just a name of an adult. I, I, I looked at Joseph as he's described in the scripture here, and the scripture explains to us what a tremendous wrangle it was for Joseph to come to grips with what God had done to this young woman to whom he was betrothed. They had not started to live together yet. They had been betrothed. They, had, they, had, they were engaged together to get married. And then Mary starts showing herself be pregnant. Now we've had pregnant ladies in the church here. Some of you, some of the children that are here are evidence of that. <laughs> and uh, uh, women begin to, their tummies begin to bulge with the baby that is within them. And so this, this began to happen to Mary. And Joseph was not a man who was 50 years old or 60 years old, who had studied theology his whole life and who had everything together. Joseph was a young man. He was a young man who had just recently fallen in love with this girl named Mary. He knew certain theological things. He knew the law of God, of Moses. He knew that adultery was wrong and fornication was wrong. He knew that you were supposed to wait for pregnancy until you were married or wait for sexual relations until you were married. And yet here was this young woman that was, uh, was his betrothed and she was looking pregnant, and he knew that people would begin to talk about that. And, uh, and uh, no doubt, no doubt, Marion, he talked about that, and she was probably going through a lot of struggles too. And Joseph didn't know what to do. That's the, that's the thing you have to start with. Joseph did not know what to do. It, it says here in this text a couple of times that he struggled with what to do. He didn't know what to do. He had his whole life before him. He was going to be a father. He hoped to be a father of a faithful family. Both Mary and Joseph, God blessed them. They were Old Testament people, but they are, they, they are indicators or they are replicas or examples of Old Testament people that were really spiritual people. They really understood something about true faith. They weren't just locked in some sort of an Old Testament of a world where they just went through their routines and went to the, did their sacrifices but didn't really think about the Lord. No, they were real spiritual creatures. And so Joseph knows that his whole future hangs on how he deals with this, this subject. He did not want to have his life begin with the symbols of fornication or adultery of fornication because he and Mary had started to make love prior to their wedding day or fornication, I mean, or adultery because 
Mary had gone and had sex with somebody else. He didn't want that to be associated with him. He knew. He knew that there was something beautiful about the sanctity of marriage. He, he, he knew that there was something beautiful about the promises that God had made to Abraham. That God would bless Abraham's offspring. He would, God would bless Abraham's children and his children's children. And, and, and Joseph understood. He wasn't like these people today in our generation who just create their own truth. No, uh, Joseph understood God's truth, and he understood that God's truth was superior to anything he might think was true. So he understood that there was no coming back from the idea that there had been um, fornication or adultery. His his family, he, he he could not expect God's blessings upon his family, if that's the way things started. At least that's what he was grappling with. That's what he was wrestling with. At the same time, he loved this young woman. And we have to remember, Mary was not some floozy. (laughs) He He had fallen in love with a girl of some purity, of remarkable purity, of remarkable faith before the Lord. And he was he was in such a torque because he loved this girl, he respected this girl, he couldn't understand how this, the girl that he knew, the Mary that he knew, he could not understand how she could be pregnant. And even as he saw the fruit of her pregnancy, he could not understand there was no logic. None of of their past life would explain how this came to be. And so Joseph was troubled. He wanted to marry this girl, but he could, he could not, if she was going to divide herself from Jehovah God, he could not marry her. It was an agony. And so the text says that uh, he did not want to make her a public example. His, his love for his this, this young girl that he loved, his love was so great that even, even if she had fornicated, or if she had betrayed him with adultery, he did not want to he did not want to embarrass her overly. And so it says in verse 20, 21, 19 that he was minded to put her away secretly. You, you, the Bible is so powerful because it rings so true. These people that want to Denigrate the Bible and denigrate Christianity. They don't, they haven't even begun to come to it, come to grips with the way it's written and what it says. I mean, these things ring true, do they not? And, and so while he thought about, uh, while he thought about these things, verse 20, while he thought about these things, um, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. <laughs> Just unbelievable things. Saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's even, it's even magically descriptive of, of the baby. That which is conceived of her in her. This, this baby was not conceived by human sperm, by uh, a man. This baby was conceived in her by uh, divine sperm, if you will, the one, the, the one who had created man. 
It's a, we can have a whole sermon on that. But the Lord appears to him in a dream and tells him, do not be afraid. That was, that was where, that was where, that was uh, jo Joseph's basic thought. He was terrified of trying to become a covenant head of a family that began with a sin and um, spiritual contamination. And so the angel comes to Joseph and he says, do not be afraid. Uh, God, God knows us and he knows, he knows the depths of our hearts. And he knew Joseph here. He knew what Joseph was going through. Do not be afraid to take to, your, take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Again, this shows that the Old Testament people had a, a, a theology of the Trinity. They had a, a theology uh, where they understood something about the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph, um, Joseph understands, at least he understands enough to realize that he is just, that God has just spoken to him. And so... Um, so he went along with it, and uh, the Lord even told him that you shall name his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So here's the simple young man. We've got we've got some younger men in the congregation right now. You can amaze it. You can be. You can consider how you would deal with these amazing announcements. Um, I don't know many adult. Men that are older, how they would deal with something like this. But here was a young man who was just beginning his life. Who had just he was just a kid a few years ago, and now he's dealing with these things. So uh, Joseph, as I I argue here, Joseph was a magical man because he'd been touched by God by grace. He acceded to grace. He responded to God. He had he had faith. He understood that everything in life was not what you can see and hear and touch. There's a God above this dimension who breaks in sometimes and tells us things and shows us things that are beyond what we might uh, what we might think and know. And so, number four here is the magical God, uh, 18c, where God says um, that... Uh, that Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, where um, God, God sends this angel, and, and, uh, the, and, and it was understood by Joseph that this was, not, that this was an angel of the Lord. And he, he, saw the, he saw that God had condescended to give him a message. The message was, you didn't make any mistakes about Mary. She was the girl that you thought she was. But I, as the living God, have superseded your common lives and the life of expectations that you might have had. And no, Joseph, you are not going to have a normal life. You are going to, you are going to be the father of this special one who was prophesied way back in the Old Testament. And um, it even says in verse... Um, in verse 22, I love that. It says, So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, mean, which is translated God with us. 
God is so concerned about his Bible, he's so concerned about his text, that because, because this text had been revealed through the prophets of old, it says, verse 20 says, so all this was done so that the text might be fulfilled. Do you have a high enough view of the Bible? Do you have a high enough view of the biblical text to see this? This past week, uh, I saw one conversation on the internet. Uh, there were some people that were really offended at some Christians that were taught that were because the Christians had said that uh, homosexuality was wrong and that that uh, in God's order that men had a superiority over women in terms of their office. We don't. We, I'm not going to explain that right now, but they, they were upset about it because that's what our culture thinks, and so they were upset about this. And I just I responded. And I said, I said whatever, and they were really upset about this this uh, OPC preacher that had said this. And so I I just said to them, look at guys, whatever you're upset is about this preacher. All he was doing was saying what Jesus said. So uh, so Jesus didn't like homosexuality either, and Jesus believed in the superiority of men in a certain way, carefully defined, but nonetheless a certain way. So whatever problems you have, it's not because of this dunderheaded preacher, this OPC guy, this mean man. You have the same problems with Jesus. So just take it up that way. And there are, there, you know, there are, people can bring uh, assaults and, and uh, charges against us in this world today. And they can make us seem like we are hateful people. Because we're simply abiding by the word of God. And it's good for us to say that to them. Say, well, I'm just, I'm just spouting forth what Jesus said. So whatever you problem you have with me, you have the same problem with Jesus. Because you see, it's easy to pick on one of us. But it's hard to pick on Jesus. It really, really is. It's hard to pick on Jesus. Because you might not like what Jesus said. But most, most foolish people in this world have to admit that Jesus has stood the test of time. He's the most respected person in the world, in world history, even if you disagree with some of the things he said. So you have to come to grips with the fact that why is he so respected and yet you disagree with some of the things that he said. But that's your problem. That's not my problem. I'm just the carrier. Uh, and, and you need to remember that and use that as an apologetic answer to people when they come after you. Like, you know that you're hateful because you don't you don't love homosexuals. Well, you know I'm sorry, but whatever problem you have with me, you've got with Jesus. So take it up with Jesus. Take take him on, because um, the Bible says that Jesus was was predestined or he was prophesied to come for the rising and the falling of many. People will look at Jesus. They will look at what he taught. Some will rise by him, even under the heavens. They will be resurrected from the dead. Others will fall by him because they will crash upon him. They, they charge him. They try to tackle him. They try to, they try to, to uh, destroy him. But instead, they destroy themselves. That's just a fact of life. Jesus is more powerful than all of those who would come against us. And so... <clears throat> Uh, so number four, this God is the magical God who does these things. Now, fifthly, we see in 21 to 25 how this is part of this whole program for the salvation of the world. And um, and uh, also I'll read 20, 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, in Hebrew, Joshua 
means Savior. So that's why, and they explain that in just a minute, but that's why they they use it this way right away in verse 21. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled. According to the passage in the Old Testament, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Then Joseph, then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her. In other words, they did not have sexual relations until after she had borne this child. <clears throat> this was not, uh, this is not, this was not for human sexual reasons, but for uh, eschatological theological reasons, which I know those are big words, but I haven't got time to explain them right now. And and he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, which the angel had said to do. Now, uh, as I said, Jesus in in Greek is the the word that is a word for savior, and so this points to this genealogy that we started with. Uh, Adam and Eve fell into sin by disobeying God. The whole creation fell into sin because of that, on that account. There there were seasonal changes. Things got out of order. There were cold streaks and hot streaks and rainy streaks and dry streaks. All of these things were out of order. But God is not going to let Satan have anything of the creation in the end. In the end, the only thing that the, the Satan will have, the only thing that the reprobate will have is the d- domain or the region of the damned. But everything else will be reclaimed by God. We are the first parts of that reclamation project. We are saved. We are born again by the power of this Jesus who sends his Holy Spirit to change us, to change our minds, to change our hearts. But then we begin to affect the world around us and we behave in a a delightful way toward the world. We work hard. We do things justly and and, uh, morally. We do our job. We we go about and we discover new things, the new secrets that the Lord has planted in the creation. Things Things like digital logic, the whole basis of this new computer world that we live in. God had planted that like so much gold. But not in the ground, not in the physical ground, but he planted that mathematically in the processes of this world. We discovered it. And we bring all of these things into, we, we, we go into them and we, we dominate them. We use them for ourselves. We make ourselves wealthier and, and, and better and more healthy and all of these kinds of things. Because this is what God has ordained. He's ordained that there's a whole program of reversal. Starts with us, believers, the elect, but then it goes, it spreads itself as we have influenced the world, it spreads itself out. And so, as John Bunyan wrote, Paradise Lost, and he said, then he wrote a second follow up book, Paradise Regained. That's the point of the Bible. And some, someone, when Christians are only concerned about their hearts or only concerned about their spiritual awakening, they're leaving off a great bit that God wants included. God is concerned about his creation. He has not deeded the creation to Satan. And we, as it says at the end of Ephesians 1, we as his creatures are the ones who will bring all of that and we'll bring a harvest. Psalm 67 speaks of the harvest of the whole world. Executed by 
those who take up Christ and his name and follow him. And it all begins with this, this magical story here about this, these real people and how they, could, how they could deal with Mary's pregnancy. She was really pregnant with a real child, a real Jesus, who could really save his people from their sin. And we are numbered among those people today here. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. It's really a, a magical, super spiritual, full of grace thing. And we rejoice in it. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee that Thy biblical text, that the words of Scripture bring out so much of this to us. We are overwhelmed, O Lord, how, how simple words can convey the immensity of Thine eternal decrees to save Your people from their sins and to save this world so that there might be a new heavens and a new earth on account of thy Son, thine only begotten Son, thy special Son, even Jesus the Christ. Bless us, O Lord, at this time of the year with a great respect for Jesus. Help us to use him and make him a part of our adult lives, of our adult minds, and our adult faith. And bless us with him that we might never lose interest in him or lose sight of him or drop off from him as so many stragglers would drop off from a mighty onrushing parade. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.